Hey everyone, welcome. Today's guest is Tony Ko, the founder of NYX Cosmetics. Tony has long been one of the more powerful forces in the beauty industry and has generated over $1 billion in retail revenue during her career. She's incredibly business savvy, but also spunky and an open book. And I think Tony is an incredible example of what it takes to make it and how starting from nothing ends in an exit to over reportedly, not confirmed, 500 million to L'Oreal. We talk about her next beauty venture and how she manages a crazy, insane life, including climbing to Mount Kilimanjaro. Take a listen. Tony, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to interview you today. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be on. So I've been a longtime fan. Um, I feel like we have friends that have always been trying to introduce me to you. So I was so excited when I got the opportunity to interview you. So let's talk about makeup. What got you interested in makeup? Were you always interested as a young girl? Yes, for sure. Um, Especially watching my mom get herself ready every morning. My mom is currently 78 years old and she still does not leave the house without being completely made up from head to toe. Um, And I, I just loved makeup. Um, I was not allowed to wear makeup when I was in my early teen years, like 14 ish. But I went to Kmart. We had Kmart back then, and I bought makeup, and I hid those under my backpack, and I wore makeup every day. (laughs) My mom just didn't know that I was wearing them. Oh, my gosh. So would you take it off before you got home? Yeah. I had uh, had a bar of soap with the uh, black eyeliner. It was a Maybelline black eyeliner and a face powder by CoverGirl and, like, a lip uh, a, a very light color, uh, lip gloss, lipstickish item. And along with a small bar of soap and I wash my face at school before coming home. Oh my goodness. The fact that she didn't see like the tinges of black makeup or any hint, um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, but then again, like, uh, we were, we were just fresh, uh, fresh off the boat immigrant and my mom was working all the time. So she probably didn't even have a lot of time to like pay attention at, at my face or what, <laughs> what I was wearing. So you came here from Korea at 13. You didn't speak a word of English. I'd love for you to tell me what that was like and where did you move to in America? We, oh yeah. So I finished my elementary years in Korea. I was 13. Um, It was March. So I was right about to get into junior high school, seventh grade. And my family ended up moving to U.S. And at first, we were going to land in New York, but we ended up in Los Angeles, which um, kind of completely changed the uh, course of my life. Um, and we ended up in this area, uh, not exactly in Glendale, but it was like Glendale adjacent. It's this small pocket of area called the San Fernando Valley. It would have been wonderful to get to Glendale, but Glendale was too expensive for us, so we couldn't go. So we ended up adjacent to Glendale. It's called San Fernando Valley. Was it a hard adjustment for you or you felt like it was totally fine? Oh, absolutely hard. <laughs> I, um, I no, I am very glad that my parents uh, made the move. But if there was an option, I, 
if, if there is an option for anybody, I highly recommend you do not move your teenage children to a country where they don't speak the English, they, they don't speak the language and they have zero acquaintance and you just get like your roots completely like plucked out and you're planted into this new country. Um, especially, you know, it's a little bit different because we're coming from Korea because we were not doing so well in Korea. So you know, when we got to U.S., my parents, they had to work all the time and they don't speak English themselves. Like they weren't the parents who came to school and looked after us. So we were basically left to we, meaning my brother and my sister, we were basically left on our own to take care of us. And we had to grow up really quick, really quick. Do you think that looking back as as hard as that was, that the growing up and being forced to look after each other sort of prepared you for entrepreneurship or launching your own business? Absolutely. Um, I lived a pretty chaotic um, childhood, but you know, it's every one of those second, every one of my experiences made me who I am today. So, you know, as they say, what doesn't kill you makes just makes you stronger. You know, sometimes I hate when people say stuff like that, but it always is true, right? It's like those tough experiences that you grow from really suck to go through. But once you've gone through it, you're like, I can do anything or close to anything. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I've gone through so many iterations of this as well myself. Um, I just turned 50 and I have a whole new perspective on it again than I did two years ago, and then than I did five years ago, than I did 10 years ago. And, you know, I just learned, I just heard this uh, two weeks ago, that the Native Indians do not consider you an adult until you're 51 years of age. So I still have one more year to go till I, t- till I mature, fully mature. Um, and it's really interesting how uh, the way I view the exact same scenario or the situations or my experiences have just completely changed the moment I turned 50. It's like somebody turned on like an on-off switch. It's really interesting. And uh, I was actually uh, really afraid of turning 50. Like since April, I'm really enjoying this new new, uh, version of myself. And I really appreciate this new version of myself. I can identify with that because I was scared to turn 40 two years ago. And then I turned 40 and I felt like I had a similar like, oh, I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm confident. I, you know, like all these things you yearn for when you're younger. And then it just is sometimes is age that it's just like, oh, now I feel that way. And I'm like, damn, I wish I had that confidence when I was 18 (laughs) Or, or whatever it is or the comfortable, you know, just the things you don't care about anymore and can let go of is so freeing in a way. I completely agree with you. Um, and it's just, it just gets better and better. And I've heard this before and I used to think they're crazy, but now <laughs> I get it. I'm like, Oh, I get it. It does get better and better. <laughs> if only our bodies got better and better with that age. I yeah. try so hard. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, I, I'm still a little vain <laughs> with my appearance and uh, I try so hard. It is just, it's just significantly harder. Like once you go over 45, it just becomes so much more harder, but uh, hit, hitting 50, it, it, this is a new genre in life. A hundred percent. So let's go back to your youth. 
you moved here, you had to raise yourself and your brother. At what point did you say, I'm launching a cosmetics brand? And what did you do just before that? Yeah, so um, it was 1986 when my family moved to US. And the first business that my mom started was in uh, small beauty supply, beauty supply and perfumes retail stores. And the reason the um, the immigrants go into launching small businesses is because you cannot get a job because you don't speak the language. So the only way to provide for yourself is to go into a small business or going to some sort of a uh, service industry where you use your bodies more than um, more than the verbal verbal skills or something. Um, and my mom started a small color cosmetic company, uh, not co- company, a store that sold perfumes. And I used to go to work with my mom. She, uh, every weekend, every after school, uh, we never had a day off. Uh, we worked 364 days. And uh, I just grew up in the family business. And my mom just happened to be an amazing businesswoman and entrepreneur. So we grew that one store into like multiple location within like uh, 10 years or something. And then eventually we sold everything and we went into a wholesale distributor business. So now we were the wholesaler distributors to the retailers and I was managing accounts and I was running the day-to-day operations at the business. And then I think I was like 24 going on 25. I was looking back in my life and the thing is my mom had never paid me and I was living at home and this is very customary in the Asian culture. And I looked back at my life and I've seen, like, I see my friends now they're uh, getting older, they're starting to get married or have jobs and uh, moving out of their house, finding their own nest. And I was like looking at my life and I said, hey, like I'm 25, I'm still working for family, I'm living at home, where is my life going? And I had a huge blow up with my mom and I left the family business and uh, I did nothing for six months after that, but partied like I went out every night I went clothing every night slept until like noon wake up get ready go out for six months and like at the end of six months one day I just woke up and I said what am I doing with my life I'm wasting my youth away and I decided that I was gonna like do something so at first I was gonna get a job but um I would make a horrible employee so um uh and then I saw a real niche in the market where the gap between a uh, prestige brand and then the affordable brands at drugstore was just huge and it didn't need to be. And I knew that because being in the family business and the beauty supply business for, for so many years from such a young age and because like I'm a third generation entrepreneur. So my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad was kind of an entrepreneur. And then um, I, I too am an entrepreneur. Like I have this like baked in business mindset. It, in me. And then my mom was an, uh, she's an amazing entrepreneur. So uh, I decided, Hey, you know what? Um, Let me start a beauty brand that bridges the gap between the prestige and the, uh, the mass. And all I had to do was not be so expensive. And that was pretty easy to do (laughs) Uh, because all I had to do was just cut back on the marketing spend because all these uh, luxury beauty brands, the reason the price is that expensive is because their marketing budget is outrageous. Like mm-hmm. 30, like 30, 35% of their budget goes towards marketing. And that's like paying celebrities and supermodels millions of dollars to represent their brands. And 
I, first of all, couldn't do it because I didn't have the money, but I knew uh, listening to my grandfather from very young age, you know, I knew that the greatest marketing in the world is word of, word of mouth. And if I sold, and then the greatest marketing in the world is delivering value and value does not mean cheap. It is you're giving more for less. And that could be a million dollars if you're giving $1.2 million worth for a million dollars. That's a value. So um, I took that and it was 1999, uh, May of 1999 is when I started my first company, Nix Cosmetics. So when you started it, did you immediately find success or were there challenges early on that sort of paved the way, you know, like, oh, this isn't as easy as I thought it was, or, you know, what was sort of the early days like? I, you know, when you start a business, actually to expect anything to be easy is out of mind, I think. Um, is what? Everything out is of- out of mind. Everything yeah. is hard. Every, like literally one to 10 is going to be hard. But that too was very natural to me because I grew up in the business setting. Because I started working in my parents, my mom's business from such a young age. And um, back in Korea, we lived in a multi-generation household, meaning we lived with my grandfather and he ran a business and as a little kid, just hanging around. And, you know, I like really like this is another thing that I realized as I get got older, too. Um, I used to just be around uh, my grandfather and he would have like these people come visit him to do business and whatnot. And I was a little kid or even an infant or even a baby. Um, But I was just soaking in information without even knowing it was my subconsciousness that was like taking in all the information. Um, And that's why I say I have this like baked in um, intuition for business. So I'm a college dropout. I don't have an MBA. I've never learned anything that I know. I just know. (laughs) You know, so many incredible entrepreneurs, whether, you know, they went to college or not, like college doesn't teach you, no offense to anyone, at least didn't teach me what I needed to know for business. I learned it by mistakes. I learned it through my parents. It sounds like you learned a lot through your third generation, you know, working in the business. And I think sometimes that is way better than some of the things you learn in college. So I, I look at I look at it as like there's multiple prong to like not being a college dropout. So first of all, like for me, it wasn't a choice, but it was kind of like my environment. I mean, I came here when I was 13. When people were learning science, I was learning English as a second language. Like I was so behind. I was all a student before I came to US. And then I became like, I, I became basically all F student overnight. It's a traumatizing to a teenager. But anyways, so, you know, what college teaches you, I, I think college is great in teaching you um, the organization skills. And then I think what college gives you is more the network that you create by being going to a college. But also what it does is it puts you in a box because you get, because, you know, when you go to college, you're 18, 19, and your brain is still so malleable and you're so still so young that, you know, any idea that gets put into your brain, like you get put into a box. So the thing is, I am a, a very intelligent person, 
but who was who, my brain was never put in a box. So I was able to think outside the box. I think that was a great advantage for me. For sure. I mean, I think anyone launching a business, if you there is no by the book, right? You have to think out of the box. And clearly you did that with Nick's and, and it and it paid off. I mean, what was that like to go from the beginning? How long was it till you saw signs of success? And then would love for you to take me through the the L'Oreal acquisition, which there's been rumors, you don't have to confirm or deny, but a very successful exit for you. Yes. Um, that was that exit was such an amazing experience for me. I mean, the highs, the highest high and the lowest low that you could experience in that six month is just incredible. I would I, I if I could relive that moment, I would do it over and over again. Um, but yeah, so I think the first so the first three years of the business is called the infomortality. Uh, stages, right? So majority of the businesses die off within the first three years. But if you make it through the first three years, uh, you you build your stepping stone to move into your next phase in your business. But um, and things are a little different now because of the social media and because of like uh, internet, everything is a little more faster. So things have sped up. But and this is like we're because it was 1999 and things like things moved at a much slower pace. It really took. 10 years for me to uh, get to a really state, like kind of in a position for my company to raise capital. So it was, I started in 99, it was 2009 when I raised my first capital. Uh, I did a minority deal with a boutique firm out of Chicago, and that really catapulted the brand into the next level. So at that point, I think our revenue was at about $18 million. So the thing is, the first three years, I grew the business really quick. The first year, I did $2.5 million, in, uh, like $2 million in revenue. And I'm talking about net revenue. Um, and then the year after, I doubled that. I was doing $4 million. The year after that, I did like 48% growth or something. Um, and it grew really fast until I got to about... $8 million in revenue. And from that $8 million in revenue to get to getting to eight, $18 million in revenue took about five years. Because sometimes like in a business, you hit a plateau. If you're looking to start a business or side hustle or already have one, Business Brain is a podcast definitely worth listening to. Dave Hamilton and Shannon Jean, two longtime business owners, come to you each week to talk through the trials, successes, pitfalls, and tips it takes to successfully run a small business in today's world. Hear real-world folks talk about real-world problems, letting you know not only what it takes to get it done, but that you're not alone in doing it. So no matter where you are in your journey, Dave, Shannon, and the Business Brain community are there to help. Start engaging and learning with Business Brain at businessbrain.show or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what what do you think your what do you think your secret was because I'm sure around the time that you started, you know, slowly after that more brands, you know, found that white space and didn't have success. So what was your secret sauce to the to the growth you had and to the eventual acquisition? Uh, the secret sauce. I just worked nonstop. I didn't know how much I worked. Literally, that nothing beats working hard. And you know, they say it's not about working harder; it's about working smarter. But when you work smarter and harder, that's like double whammy. And <laughs> I 
I had completely forgotten about it, but somebody had just reminded me that I was sending out emails at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Um, the whole time. And I just like literally gave my thousand percent, not a hundred percent. It was my thousand percent. And I don't know where that like drive came from, but I think to me, I had no other option but to succeed. Mm-hmm. I feel like usually, you know, I have the same, right? I had nothing to fall back on, no other alternative plan. And so the only option was to succeed. Right. Yeah. My mom, um, when I started, when I first told my mom about the uh, my business idea, yeah, she was the one who gave, wrote me my first check. And she said something really amazing. She said, you know, you're because I was 25, 26. She said, don't be afraid to fail. And it's better if you do early on. Uh, when you have like no dependent and nothing, like even if you fail, you have nothing to lose. And right. the thing is, I had this weird dynamic of having nothing to lose, but I also couldn't lose. Yep. I love that. So when you said that your acquisition was the best and the saddest, what was the sad part for you? Because I think that People will only go, oh, wow, she got acquired and she made all this money. What's there to her to be sad about? But when when I got acquired, I was also sad as well as happy. Um, so I'm just curious to know what sort of the sad part was for you. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of the dark, like post-acquisition was one of the darkest moments of my life because uh, I really fell into a, a deep, deep, deep depression. That's because you're my self-worth my self-purpose like my my life's purpose the rhythm and rhyme of my living everything everything is pulled under me and it no longer exists you know you wake up one day and it no longer exists the one thing that you work so hard for from like and from 25 and the, by the time I sold my company, it was 40 years. And the thing is, I knew exactly what I was doing. I, I was prepared for it. I was prepared for my exit. But yet, even though it doesn't matter how much preparation you can do, when you're so vested in the one thing and you no longer have it, I, you're, I, you know, now I look at it as like, it was natural that I went through that process. It was weird that I went through that emotional turbulence. I mean, yeah, it's something that I had to experience to get to this joyful stage that I am in right now. And, you know, I think a lot of people may be a little better because they're probably uh, in a relationship or married and have children, especially when you have children, you have somewhere to focus on. But I don't have children. So uh, I had nothing to focus on after the exit. And was the exit that they would acquire you and you were going to move on and had, and you were ready for that at that point? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, I had not, no, I had no, um, uh, uh earnouts. Um, thankfully I did not want earnouts and I'm actually very proud of the fact that I did not have to stay on to get the earnout or had to stay on to, uh, work at the company or work at the work for the brand because, it was 100% self-running machine. By the time I had sold the company, I had the full management 
in team. I had the full creative in team. I had the right people in the right position for them to carry on and run, learn the, uh, uh, run the company without my daily presence. So um, I'm very proud of that moment. I love that. That's incredible. So I'd love to now move to its post-acquisition. It's the dark time for you. What did you learn about yourself in that time period and how did you sort of get out of that dark place and into a place where you are now? Um, so to get out of the dark place, I started another company. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only thing I knew, I knew what I knew how to do, start another business. So, but I had a five years non-compete. Um, so I started the sunglass company. It's called Perverse Sunglasses. It was launched as Perverse Sunglasses, but it got, I rebranded it to Thomas James LA. Um, I ran that for about three and a half to four years. And then during that period, my non-compete expired in 2019. Um, July of 2019, my non-compete expired. And I started a new company, Facebook Beauty Brands, after the non-compete. And it started as I was, my original plan was to, uh, to launch, continue launching beauty brands for uh, influencers and celebrities and whatnot. Uh, I've launched four brands in two years, but recently shut down two of the brands. And I have two brands right now, which is with Jason Wu, the fashion designer. Jason Wu Beauty, we're available in Target. And we have Kimchi Chic Beauty, we're available at CVS. And Kimchi Chic Beauty is this fun, spunky uh, drag queen brand, which is like really fun and gorgeous. Um, and I think these two brands are going to be be a, a, a hit. I mean, it is already a hit. And I think these two brands are just going to be spectacular. And I'm so happy about them. So do you approach this differently now that you've grown a company to, you know, in hundreds of millions, sold it, you know, found the, the period where you're like, oh shit, I love to work. I want to build more brands. Are you approaching this next phase differently where you're not in a rush to sell or you're enjoying just owning this forever? What's kind of your shift now? So I am, I have the title of the CEO right now with the companies, but I am actually not even on the payroll and I just work and put in my hours because I just love and enjoy the process so much. But I do take a lot more hands-off approach now. And I think it's because I need fresh sets of eyes. Times are different. And I'm not a very tech-savvy person. I'm more a creative person. And so um, I know that me trying to be the, the, cap, like the only captain of this ship, um, I don't know how to maneuver some of the spaces, the some of the spaces we need to travel through, such as TikTok. I, I have a TikTok account, but it's not even on my phone. I deleted it because I don't want to watch it. But it is where brands get made. So uh, it's clear that I need to be completely dependent on people who are experts at TikTok. So I have a lot more hands-off approach now. It sounds like you had a hands-off approach even towards the end of NYX because you had had, as you said, that almost automatic running organization. And I'm curious, a lot of entrepreneurs I know aren't able to get to that hands-off. And so how were you How were you able to do that and continue to do that? The, so with NYX Cosmetics, that was only with the either last one. three years. 
Yeah. Nix Cosmetics, yeah. it was only the last three years. First okay. three, first 12 was just all in working crazy hours. Yeah. It was just the last three years. So, um, see, Nix Cosmetics, like a lot of people think it's a, it, like I found this, I found the success and, you know, all of that in like the last five years or something. Um, they did not know the brand was a 15 year old brand because right. we're just flying under the radar the whole time. It was just like the last three to four years that we really surfaced. And with this company now, I think it's because, because the, my personal situation is different before, like I said, I had nothing to lose at the same time. I had, I had no option to lose um, mm-hmm. this time. I still have no option to lose, but I have a lot to lose now because my life is different. Correct. Interesting. This is just a full honest answer. No, I love the honest answers. It's, it's a very, it's, it's a very um, subtle shift in perspective, but it's, it's very true. And in addition to challenges, I saw that you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro but also with a full face of makeup. <laughs> let's let's talk about that. Were you was that a challenge that you know you thought okay I've done the business challenge now let me test my physical limits or what sort of went through your mind there? Yeah. So last year um, after I turned forty nine, I had one more year till I turned fifty, uh, like a new decade in life, a uh, new perspective in life, and. I decided to go and live a one year of saying yes. Um, before that, I lived kind of very boxed in lifestyle, kind of like a very structured lifestyle too. And I wanted to, I wanted to be broken free, and I wanted to be just shattered. And I wanted the like, I wanted to experience life, kind of some of the things that I would not allow myself to experience in my previous life. Of course, like I had my own boundaries too, but I decided to live a year of yes. And that was, I was going to just go ahead and commit myself and say yes to things that I was fearful of, afraid of, that I had judgment of, that I, uh, uh, phobia of, like all of these things. And so um, everything that came my way, I just said, yes, I'll go and do it. Yes, I'll go and try that. Yes, yes, yes to everything. And uh, Mount Kilimanjaro was one of it. Um, it was amazing. Oh my God. The, what the mountain taught me being on the mountain for eight days have taught me and shifted me to a whole, a whole new level of knowledge. And no, but you know, it's weird because it's not like the knowledge that I didn't know before, but it's, it becomes part of you. It's just, it's the difference between just knowing and it, you becoming it. Um, and I loved every single moment of it. Um, and I did a uh, silent meditation retreat, which was amazing. I did uh, whitewater rafting down uh, Grand Canyon for one week. That was amazing. Um, I learned how to salsa dance. I went skydiving. I mean, I, I, I mean, I did so much, so much. Wow. And what would you say if you could summarize or boil it down into one, which I know is a terrible thing to ask you to do after a year, like what, what did you learn about yourself that was the most impactful? The most impactful was Kilimanjaro, I have to say, 
is the altitude climbing. And when you are climbing at such a high altitude, what happens is what happens to you is there's oxygen deprivation in your brain. So basically, you're experiencing near death. So 25,000 feet is the uh, death zone. Nothing could live above that. And Kilimanjaro is over 19,000, 19,340 or something. So you're, you're very close to that, to that level. Um, I went half blind on, uh, at the peak, um, the physical endurance challenge. But you know, the thing is, it's not the physical endurance, it's your mental endurance. And, you know, you just have to tell yourself that you could do it. And what I learned from myself is, I am limitless as much as I allow myself to be limitless. I love that. It's true. I was get. I was gonna. I was thinking this morning. Like people are like, "Oh my god, you're such a superwoman! How do you do it?" <laughs> and I, it's ironic because that's the name of my podcast. But I hate it when people say that to me. <laughs> um, but I'm like, it's a decision, right? Like we can decide to be yeah. effect or we can decide to be cause. And obviously it's it's easy, easy to say and what people have to go through to be cause or be effect is a lot. But it starts with that decision, which I feel like you made, which was so transformative. Yeah, it's, it's all in your head. Everything yeah. is all in your head. If you tell yourself you can do it, you can do it. If you tell yourself, I cannot do it, I'm going to quit, then you're going to quit. It's all in your head. That's it. Yep. I love that. So before we wrap, I love to ask all my guests and you might tell me you already answered this one, but I asked my, my guests the same two questions. What is one thing we'd be surprised to know about you? Oh yeah. (laughs) That, oh, so many, like I went to 14 different schools. Um, I'm a, I'm a super introvert. I'm a 99 point introvert. What? And I, yes. And I've lived with severe crippling social anxiety my entire life. Well, most of my adult life. So when I had Nick's Cosmetics, I rarely went to any of the events. You could ask, like, I, if I had to go, because I had to, had to, had to go, I dash in and then I dash out. Like, there have been times where I get to an event and I just cannot get myself to ballet park because if I ballet park, I don't have my safe space and I have to walk into an event. So I circle around 20 times and I have seriously contemplated crashing my car onto the side of the freeway on the way to the event. That's how much social anxiety I had. Wow. Well, you wouldn't think it. That's definitely a shocker. Um, Any tips for how you overcame it? Because you said had. Yeah. Um, Well, slow learning. So during this cosmetics, I just avoided it all. That's why I I rarely went to any of the events. I did go to trade shows because that was very purposeful. Like there's a, there's a difference. Like if, if it was a purposeful meeting, I was okay. But if it was just going to mingle, I couldn't do it. It was the social anxiety that just got me. But through meditation, a lot of meditation, a lot of therapies I've gone I've been in therapy since I was 35 years old and just a lot of practice and I think getting older has to like help me a lot too I keep on bringing age but really nothing beats time so true it's true time oh you know perspective over time 
Um, mm-hmm. those. So then my last question for you is what is one piece of advice you'd love to leave my listeners with, whether it's advice you learned yourself that you want to impart or someone gave to you that you feel was actually very helpful? You know, I do hear one thing, like I do hear a lot of already successful people saying things like know your value, like don't go and do that free work or, you know, things like that. Right. Um, and I think we need to like re, uh, restructure that kind of that set that restructure that because a lot of the times, you know, free is the most expensive, but free can also be the most valuable. So, you know, if you're starting out early in the career, go and do those free internship and do those free volunteer works. And like, don't think of it as I'm wasting my time. You're not. Because when you do volunteer work, when you do internship, uh, when you do all of these things, you have maybe have given few hours of your life, but then the network you've created, the experience you've created, the knowledge you gain by being in that environment, that's priceless. And that's a highly valuable life experience. I fully agree. And if I might add, not only is it priceless, but don't ever go into an internship with a I'm better than this attitude, or I shouldn't be asked to do this, or I can't believe they're asking me to do this. I think every single thing that's thrown at you at an internship is valuable and can, can be help shape your career. Absolutely. A a thousand percent. And like, I want to ask the, the already successful group of people to not give out advices like that. No, like, you know, I, I think the gist of it is good, but it could be taken in a very wrong way where people are just going to say, I'm not going to go and do that because I'm more valuable than that. Yes, you are. But it's not about that kind of a value. It's the experience you get. And that's priceless. You should go. and. Yeah. You, if I was an intern, I would actually go and ask, what more can I do for you? Or what exactly. more can I do for the company? Yeah. Let me get that experience. Well, thank you for sharing your experience with me today and your incredible journey. I'm in awe of what you've built. I'm so excited about your new chapter. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have? Uh, no. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I hope to meet you in person when I'm in New York next time. And uh, thank you for making this interview very easy for me. You are so welcome. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again, and you will hear from me next week.